Hello, I'm Christian, and you're listening to Inside the Cambodia Project, an educational podcast where we discuss cutting-edge research on sustainable business in an emerging market. In our last episode, I talked with Elisa Loy, one of my Cambodian friends who is the translator and cultural expert for our humanitarian research project in Cambodia. She shared some valuable insights about cultural differences between her home country and Western countries. Building on the topic of cultural differences between the East and the West, in this podcast, I'll be interviewing an Asia expert on the Me Too movement, student research scholar Seth Allred. Working for the Ballard Center for Social Impact here at Brigham Young University, Seth has seen firsthand the importance of widely adopted societal movements for making changes happen. One such societal movement was that of the v- Me Too movement, which was founded in 2006 by Tarana Burke to support survivors of sexual violence. The movement gained wide adoption in 2017 when several celebrities spoke out about their experiences on social media using the hashtag MeToo on social media. For anyone that followed this movement, For the several years it was viral, you likely saw that it was a polarized topic and it wasn't adopted or accepted in all circles. One of those circles, or more accurately, one of those economies where the Me Too movement didn't really catch on was in much of Asia. Seth is here to talk to us about that specific topic, where in Asia the Me Too movement did not catch on and why. So Seth is a junior at Brigham Young University studying marketing. He's been able to dive into many different cultures from around the world in his work, ranging from African countries of Kenya and Mozambique to Brazil. Seth is passionate about sustainability in business and looks to be a major part of that as an SGG work continues to grow. So thank you so much for joining us today, Seth. Uh, It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) Me too. Glad to have you. Um, Seth, I want to share a quote. I like to start every podcast with a quote because there's lots of people said lots of great things. Um, This particular quote is kind of abrasive, but I think it communicates some cultural perspectives that may have been common in parts of Asia. This quote comes from the Xinhua News Agency in 2011. It says, pretty girls don't need a lot of education to marry into a rich and powerful family. But girls with an average or ugly appearance will find it difficult. These kinds of girls hope to further their education in order to increase their competitiveness. The tragedy is they don't realize that as women age, they are worth less and less. So by the time they get their master's or PhD, they are already old like yellowed pearls. So Seth, what does this quote mean to you? Yeah, honestly, Christian, that's a, it's a heavy quote. Because I think what it tells us is, well, one that came from the Chinese government um, during the whole Me Too movement and everything. In 2007, they actually came out with this quote. And pretty much what it details is women need to get married. And they did this kind of because with the whole population thing that has been happening in China, where there's been more men than women, they look to balance that. And so they're pushing women to get married and have kids. And it's interesting because while 
they tell that about women and family is a part of life. Like that's what we're here right. for. It devalues the education that women can attain. And right. I think that's where it's hurtful and it's, it's hard to overcome that. Um, it was interesting. Letta Hong Fincher, she actually um, released an article in the New York times, um, an opinion article about this. Okay. And it was interesting that as she talked about that, she pretty much demonstrated it shows why women aren't valued, right? They be, it says in the quote that they became yellowed, um, like yellowed pearls. Yellowed pearls, right? yeah. And a pearl, when it comes out, you know, it's, it's white, it's pure. It's, it's something that is like everyone loves it, everyone wants it. And it's interesting that as the Chinese government demonstrated here, as women get more education, they become devalued. And to me, that's hard to understand because here in the United States, we're taught that as like with education, we actually become more valuable to society. For sure. Yeah. You know? And so I don't know that it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard concept. And especially because women, like there have been many women throughout history that have created amazing things, right? You take Susan B. Anthony, she wasn't married and she was the head of the women's suffrage movement here in the U.S. I mean, without her, like, who knows what would have happened to women? Like, would they have been able to vote as early as they did? Or would it have been pushed further? I mean, I think it's incredible. And women like Susan B. Anthony definitely are not yellow pearls. Yeah. They're a lot more than that. That's such a different perspective that's brought to, to the table. And that's kind of why I wanted to use that quote, because it's, it's so alien I would say um yeah we're coming from a culture especially here in Provo where it's all about empowering uh young people through education right right and I I think it's almost counterintuitive to say that that a woman um becomes defiled or devalued like a yellowed pearl if, if she's getting educated that that seems very counterintuitive but thanks for mentioning um I love that you mentioned Letta Hong Fincher um my manager Ben he's been reading her book Leftover Woman and mm. he's a big fan we're actually planning on having her on the podcast um, awesome. sometime next year so January or February look for that but uh, before I get into some of my other questions um, I'd love for you to talk uh, still on this topic of of empowering women and education but can you talk about maybe some of your overall impressions of the hashtag me too movement both like here in the U.S. as well as like abroad. So specifically, how did the Me Too movement gain support um, here in the U.S.? And then how did it gain support or not in Asia? Yeah. So in 2006, like you mentioned earlier, Toronto Burke started the, the hashtag Me Too movement. But what's interesting, it didn't really gain ground until 2017. Right. I don't even remember. An 11, yeah, like an 11 year difference. And so what happened during that time was Harvey Weinstein. He was an American film producer and director. There, a lot of sexual allegations came out against him. And because of that, a, a celebrity started using the hashtag Me Too movement to help people understand that, like, it's okay to talk about these things and people should talk about these things. I think for a while, people didn't want to talk about these things of the, you know, like, if there were like sexual misconduct in the workplace, right? Because it would 
it would hurt their career or maybe it was just embarrassing and it it's hard because that sh- it should not be that way and i think the world is moving in a way that it's more open to talking about hard things like this and so the hashtag me too movement gained ground specifically here in the u.s when that happened and it was widespread. I mean, millions and millions of mentions on Twitter, yeah. on Facebook. It went viral. I remember. It. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, everyone was talking about it. Um, and then, so Asia, right? The biggest countries where the Me Too movement actually gained ground was in China, Japan, and South Korea. So Peng Shuang in China, she was a tennis star. And she spoke out about her... Um, like what happened with her and a Chinese government official. Um, You know, there were sexual allegations against him. And it was unfortunate because of how um, the Chinese government is run. They censor a lot of media. And she was actually, she disappeared for a little while. Oh, wow. Um, And then was, and then she reappeared just because everyone in the world was like, where is Peng Shuang? Yeah. Um, And so anyways, and that happened in China and in Japan, um, it kind of started with a uh, reporter named Shioti Ito. Hope I said that right. Um, <laughs> I can't tell. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what happened with her is she spoke out about one of her um, her bosses uh, about sexual allegations against him. Wow. Bold. Bold. Right. And it's something that has never happened in any Asian country just because men are kind of like not the center of the universe but i want to say like men make all the decisions right they're still very patriarchal over there very patriarchal yeah very patriarchal uh community and culture and so when shioti ito actually spoke out about these things it was really hard because she eventually had to leave japan um she received lots of death threats but that didn't stop the Japanese people from still speaking out. Um, And what's interesting in South Korea, over 80% of, I think it's like 80% or something of men reported to either sexually or verbally abusing um, a girlfriend or spouse or partner. And with the Me Too movement, it actually helped the, it helped South Korea implement laws into place. Wow. And so I think the Me Too movement is, Although controversial in some aspects, I think it's been highly, highly important because it's allowed a lot of people to speak out about things that have happened to them. Yeah, I think, I mean, dialogue is such a powerful force for right. good and yeah. for change. Um, and it is true that I'm, I think that uh, even today, it's still not, it's not like hushed, but it's definitely not popular or mm-hmm. or easy to talk about these things um so i think it it's crazy how dynamic um the changes were you know when, when you look at the me too movement in asia and america across the world and also it's interesting that the repercussions right the pushback that you kind of saw in china right and korea like that's that those are some serious consequences um for speaking out right and and so I guess I admire the women that were brave enough to to open their mouths, but uh, could definitely see why maybe it wouldn't have taken off uh, in such a 
kind of uh, aggressive, um, hostile environment like that. Yeah. And well, and it's interesting too, that regardless of whether media is being controlled by the government or not, the voice of the people is powerful than all of that. You know, especially in China, like where the media is super controlled. Yeah. Um, you know, like many organizations have been started and have been closed um, and shut down by the Chinese government because it goes against kind of China, right? And so it's like, but I think it's so interesting that when there's a group of people that comes together and works together really hard to accomplish something, amazing things can happen. But it takes a lot of brave people, right? It takes a lot of people like the journalists in Japan receiving death threats and having to leave the country. But it's made change. And I think that's what's the most important part of this. For sure. Um, I, you, you mentioned that like, so China, Korea, and, and there was one Japan. other country, Japan. Yeah. Those are like where it did gain support. Right. So I want to turn that question on its head. Where, if you know, do you know like where the Me Too movement didn't gain support in Asia? Like where... I guess, where would you say it flopped or just didn't have any traction? Yeah. So the biggest places that it didn't gain traction are, it's more South Asia, um, like Vietnam, Cambodia, those countries. Okay. Gotcha. And um, I guess a follow-up question, why do you think that the Me Too movement didn't pick up support in Cambodia and Vietnam and Thailand? What yeah. What was different about those countries? What, what were the obstacles facing the movement yeah i think the some of the reasons why it didn't pick up are the literacy rates in those countries um okay you know i mean they they use a lot of facebook um, which is more pictures it's more videos um, but twitter where the me too movement actually really gained gained momentum they're not able to i guess engage with it as much yeah, there might um, not even be, like, much of a following right. in those countries. I don't really know. Yeah. No, you're totally right. And and I think in Cambodia, that's why it didn't really pick up, was because literacy rates, um, among other things, right? There's there's cultural norms. Um, I think that's a, another big reason is the cultural norms in, in Cambodia and those Asian countries are patriarchal. Right. And they have been for who knows how long, right? It's It's... It's it's definitely a tradition that has continued on for sure, and it's hard to hard to differentiate. I think uh, um, for men and women sometimes between a social issue and then you've got this cultural right. tradition. Right. Like for for many of them, um, I've been reading a book uh, called Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates, and such and a she, good book. Yeah, it's great. Have you read it? Yeah, I okay. loved it. It's awesome. like. I think that's kind of what that book really pushed me to engage more in these cultural differences. So yeah. I love that she, book. Well, you know, then she talks about how like it's so hard sometimes to change the something like gender equity right. uh, or equality because gender equality isn't in the culture. It's it's not part of the tradition. So right. you're, you're not just changing social values you're changing uh history right right? and that's so much harder to do especially working from the outside in right that's just change has to start within the people 
um, it's not really something we can force upon them. Right. So, so in, well, it's interesting. I actually went to Kenya, um, back in April. Yeah. Um, and I went to a school, uh, that was a little bit outside of Nairobi. Okay. And was at this, this a study abroad or something, it was a work trip. Okay, yeah. Cool. So, um, worked for this organization called humanitarian experience and just going out there to set things up and make sure that everything was good to go for the trips that went out. Anyways. So when I was out in Kenya, I visited the school that we were thinking about doing for 2024. And I got to tell you, Christian, it was like one of the most heart wrenching things I've ever seen. Um, we're going out and it's just like dirt road that is like a long ways away. I mean, it's like 30, 45 minutes oh, wow. of just going over huge bumps and everything like that. It's definitely not developed. And I get to the school and the the one of the teachers is there and he is like overjoyed to have us there. And so we go into a room um, and he's showing us a facility and everything like that. He's explaining and he shows us uh, the dorms where the girls were staying. And on the wall, it said something along the lines of work your hardest here so that you can go back home and show your parents that they're proud. They can be proud of you. So what this school does, it takes girls ages 10 to 18 out of communities in Kenya where they practice female genital cutting, um, Mm -hmm. where there are child marriages and they essentially rescue them and bring them to the, this facility and talk to them about just like that they can really accomplish amazing things. And so all with all of that in mind, you know, he talked about, how he was able to get those girls, the chiefs of those villages to actually let those girls come. And instead of forcing it upon them and taking them away, he talks to the, 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 the chiefs of the villages and says, look, your daughters can come to the school. They can learn, they can grow, and then they can actually go and educate themselves and really go out into the world and create something awesome. So that way, that way, when they come back, your village can be extremely proud of them. Right. And so I think that goes along with what your point of as a Western culture, we can't go into communities and just say, Hey, do this. Right. Because we can't say, go into, you know, a community and say, Hey, stop female genital cutting or stop, you know, you have to implement gender equality because frankly, like you said, it's not part of their culture. It's just, it's telling them to do something that they've never done before. Right. But if you can get them to understand in a way that actually helps them and helps them grow, I think then the strategies that we implement into these communities, they work so much more. And Melinda Gates talks about that in her book. Yeah. I don't know if you've gotten there yet. I don't want to spoil it, but he, she talks about how in Ghana, the same thing. She talks to the chief captain of the chiefs of the villages and helps them see the strategy that they want to implement. So that way the chiefs implement the strategy, not a Western team coming in and forcing something upon them. Yeah. And one thing she says is, is if you educate these women, these girls, if you Mm -hmm. let them go to schools and let them eventually study even abroad, the fact of the matter is they will come back um, 
and then they will lift up the village when right. they come back. Like it's a, it's, it's very symbiotic, right? You're you're investing in their future so that they can come back and elevate the entire village, the whole community. Um, it's an investment in woman is an investment in humanity for sure. Agreed. So really cool. I'm I'm so glad you read that book too. Like that's, yeah, that's that's really neat. It's um, one of my faves. I I feel like moving more towards Cambodia. Yeah. When I'm thinking about um, some of the factors for why that Me Too movement didn't catch on, you mentioned the literacy issue there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe some of the other issues, just trying to like delineate them. We've got like cultural and social norms, right, that discourage women from speaking up. Right. We've got um, maybe a lack of legal protections and support. Yeah. Um, and then also, yeah, we talked about censor- censorship, like especially in China, that's a mm-hmm. thing um, from the government and control of the Internet and media. Which of these three, I guess, big problems, you've got government censorship, cultural norms, legal protections, like which of those do you think is the biggest problem in Asia for for Me Too movements? Yeah, um, it's hard to pick one because they all play a role. I think in most of Asia, though, the reason the Me Too movement has been hard is because of the cultural norms um, that are associated with the country. Right. Then a lot of those countries, um, it's like we said before, it's patriarchal. Um, They focus on the man. And, you know, there's that document um, in Cambodia. Yeah. That. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure you talked about that in the other podcast. But it's interesting that it says the woman is there to serve the man and the man is not there to serve the woman. Right. It's all about him. And I think the cultural norms is just. People have never experienced anything else before, right? They've grown up thinking that it's okay to, you know, like beat their families, beat their wives and stuff like that. They think that's okay. And I think, so the biggest problem I would say is the cultural norms. Yeah. Would you say that is uh, also true for Cambodia? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And something to consider as we're moving forward, trying to, uh, make sustainable change mm-hmm. in that country. Something to consider, right, is what we already talked about, how we can't force it on them. Um, and we can't uh, easily change something like this without also uh, trying to enact changes in, in culture and tradition. It's it's a long process. It's a lot harder than it maybe looks on paper. For sure. Um Thanks for that background on the Me Too movement. That's, yeah. I don't know how you know so much, but <laughs> <laughs> you seem like a repository of, of information and I've learned a lot just in the last few minutes. Um, I want to think a little more specifically about our specific research in Cambodia. Um, and I want to ask you for some advice, if that's okay. So yeah. if there was like one and just one reason that the Me Too movement didn't find support in Cambodia, um, what would you say it was and how would you address it? Like, you kind of already mentioned literacy, right? What What do you think if we were to, if you were to give the Me Too movement a second chance in Cambodia, how would you go about um, raising awareness 
and and how would you allow that movement to gain traction in Cambodia? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the biggest thing that we can do is one start talking to the people there. Um, we need to talk to the women that are survivors of sexual assault. We need to talk to them about how that played out, why they, you know, if if they spoke up, why did they speak up? And if they didn't speak up, well, what shut them down? What kept them from raising their voice and really saying, hey, this isn't okay, you know, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to be treated like this. Yeah. So like trying to understand where they're coming from. Right. And then I think we build a strategy based off of that. I would say though, from my research, the best way that we can do that is by talking to the leaders in the communities, helping them understand why, you know, sexual violence is not okay. And then having them go out and actually teach the people. I think if we were to come in as, you know, we're both white males, go into <laughs> Cambodia and say, hey guys, you know, like, like, hey, change your ways. We, we want you to change everything because we know best. I think that would fail miserably and right. it would definitely not help anything at all. Um, so I think the biggest way is understand the people, understand why they spoke up or why they didn't. And then talk to the leaders of the community and, and, and show them why women, like empowering women, is actually beneficial for them. You know, there have been studies that have shown that when, they, when um, women are empowered, whether that be at home or work, communities thrive. Um, economies grow. And if we can show them that, then I think there's a real power to what we're doing. Um, so I'm excited to see. I'm really excited to see, like, the change that will happen there. Yeah, me too. And I think one thing that we're looking at right now is how we want to work through these small businesses mm -hmm. from the ground up. And if we, if we hypothesize that small business owners will be trusted in the communities will be people of some degree of influence, right? And so we're hoping that we can leverage that social capital that they have um, and, and use, I guess, work through these small businesses to gain the trust of the communities and, and maybe, yeah, inspire them to uh, experiment with these changes um, with you know, reducing domestic violence with uh, promoting gender equality. Um, and I'm, we've been brainstorming, but I wonder if you have any specific ideas on how we could use businesses in Cambodia to, uh, to inspire change like that. Mm. Just from, a, I know you're a marketing major. Do you have any insights on that? Like how, how could a small business, um, you know, really inspire change in a community like like Cambodia right so something interesting to look at is the difference between Cambodia and Vietnam um, at the end of the, the the Vietnam War both countries were devastated right um, you know there was a lot of things that happened that really crippled both the Vietnamese uh, economy as well as the Cambodian economy 
But it's interesting to see that Vietnam since then has grown a lot more than Cambodia has. And so I think one of my recommendations would to be to switch the mindset of business owners from a survival mindset to a growth mindset. I think a lot of business owners in Cambodia are in this survival mindset where they are just thinking, hey, you know, how can I put food on the table, right? And, and so there's no growth there. It's, it's just getting by. And I understand that there's a lot of differences between um, the U.S. economy and the Cambodian economy. And oh, yeah. I don't want to, you know, um, devalue that. Um, however, I do think that as we teach Cambodian um, small business owners to grow, to innovate, to differentiate. Um, to differentiate their products so that it's not, you know, the same little store that their neighbors set up, you know, quarter mile down the road. Right. Right. Like we want to show them that by differentiating their products, by differentiating um, their businesses, they can actually grow a lot more. And then that will enact a lot of change. And so I think, I think it'd be really cool if we found um, a woman entrepreneur that was in a community and had her actually, we taught her these principles of growth, of um, differentiating. And we were able to, you know, help her business grow just organically. I think that would be a huge influence to a lot of people. And then we could gain the trust of the other Cambodian small business owners by helping them grow um, and so on and so forth. That's fantastic. Yeah, I hope we we hope that that will be the case that uh, helping these small businesses um, grow and then helping them help Cambodia uh, grow both socially in terms of of um, gender equality and and reducing domestic violence, but also uh, just as, as a community, right, grow together. We're hoping that that'll be a, a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the whole point of, of this research. So right. uh, good to hear your insights on that. Um, this has been really great, um, but unfortunately we're running out of time. So before we finish, I have one more question for you. It's a little out there. Yeah. Um, but thinking beyond just the, the Me Too movement, if you had a close friend in Cambodia, we have some listeners actually in Cambodia for this podcast. So, cool. if you had a close friend in Cambodia who you knew was um, abusing his or her spouse, what advice would you give them to encourage them to change their behavior? I know it's kind of a sensitive question, but totally. But what would you tell that friend? Uh, you yeah, know, to inspire change. Yeah, I mean, first off. That would be such a hard topic to approach. Yeah. You know, especially coming if it's a cultural norm. I think if I, you know, if if one of my friends in Cambodia was abusing a spouse, I would tell them to look at the bigger picture. You know, I realize that life is hard and there are a lot of things that can fall upon people that, you know, there are a lot of challenges that they face that frankly, I just don't, you know, and and I'm grateful for that, but it definitely breaks my heart to see 
people suffer in that way. And so I think what I would tell them is to see the value that they provide, their spouse provides to the family unit, and then focus on that. I realize that it'd be a, a big difference in their culture and what they've been used to. I'm sure they've seen examples of, hey, you know, abuse is okay. Yeah. But I think figuring out the problem of, okay, like why is that abuse happening? Talking to them and then focusing on the positives that can be achieved from gender equality on both sides. I think that would be super beneficial to them and just coming at them with love and understanding. Yeah, I love how tactfully you're you're approaching that. And I think that's exactly the kind of attitude we're going to have to have as we approach very sensitive issues like this one totally in Cambodia and in Southeast Asia as a whole. Um, but Seth, thank you so much for coming in on the podcast today. It's been awesome getting to know you a little bit and uh, hearing yeah. your unique perspectives on, on these issues. Thanks for having me. It's been fun to talk to you about all this stuff. So <laughs> yeah, enjoyed it. For sure. And for our listeners out there, um, please know that you too can make a difference in your communities. You too um, can inspire change. And whether that has to do with the Me Too movement or any other issue, wherever you are, just remember that you have power to make a difference. And so as always, lift where you stand.